Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Although state air quality has improved in recent days, wildfire continues to be very much on the minds of many Californians. Here in Southern California, the Bobcat Fire burning in the San Gabriel Mountains is about 13% contained. It scorched over 100,000 acres and destroyed or damaged about 30 structures, but losses are expected to be much higher than that. Full containment of the Bobcat Fire could take at least another month. Meanwhile, a firefighter who died last week fighting the El Dorado fire in San Bernardino County has been identified. He's Charlie Morton, a 14-year veteran of the U.S. Forest Service and squad boss of a hotshot crew in the San Bernardino National Forest. Let's turn to the pandemic. Although more than 15,000 of our fellow Californians have died from the coronavirus, the state's COVID numbers, like its seven-day positivity rate and hospitalization rates, continue to drop, says Governor Gavin Newsom. And he says the state continues to expand testing with 124,000 average daily tests over the last week. We are committed to increasing testing in the state of California. We're not retreating from our testing responsibilities, quite the contrary. The governor says he expects to see the number of tests will increase once the state opens a new testing lab, and he wants to see test results come back quickly, within 24 hours. All of this is vital, Newsom says, if California is going to continue to reopen parts of its economy and its schools. And what the heck is happening at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention when it comes to the coronavirus information it's providing to the public? On Friday, the CDC issued new guidelines for how coronavirus spread spreads, saying aerosol transmission might mean the virus could travel more than six feet through the air. Then on Monday, the CDC removed that information, saying it was posted in error. KQED's Peter Arcuni reports on what some California researchers are saying about this. UCSF infectious disease specialist Dr. Peter Chinhong says the medical community has been aware of potential aerosol spread since early in the pandemic, and that the CDC's update was overdue. They wouldn't say anything new at all. But the main importance of them saying it was really about optics and for the fact that they took it seriously. Chinong worries that removing the guidance sends mixed messages to the public about the risk of catching or spreading the virus. The CDC said in an email that the update on airborne transmission was posted without sufficient technical review. Dr. Seema Yasmin is an epidemiologist and science communicator at Stanford. She says the CDC's decision may be based more on politics. You have to wonder, is this based on science or is what we've seen happen before repeating itself here where people who are not expert in epidemiology are interfering? Yasmin cites media reports alleging the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services influenced the CDC to publish guidance last month that asymptomatic people with coronavirus exposure didn't need to get tested. 
federal officials gave contradictory claims about who reviewed the guideline, which has since been removed. For the California Report, I'm Peter Arcuni. And a follow-up to a story we told you about yesterday, California's Employment Development Department, or EDD, is the agency tasked with getting unemployment checks to people. But it's had a huge backlog of cases since the pandemic began. An audit by a state strike team released over the weekend recommended lots of changes at the EDD to fix that, including revising how the agency focuses more on preventing fraud than paying out benefits. The California Report's Mary Franklin Harvin has more. In addition to the technological shortfalls and lack of staffing, the strike team report also highlighted how EDD's priorities have informed its approach, saying the agency's culture must shift from reactivity to rationality as it relates to fraud. Daniela Urban is an attorney with Legal Aid at Work and founder of the Center for Workers' Rights in Sacramento. EDD has had a history, and it's pointed out in the strike team report, of their belief that their need to combat fraud is of utmost importance. And we see that come into conflict with a claimant's ability to access benefits in many ways. One of the biggest drivers of bottlenecks cited in this report is linked to EDD's efforts to prevent fraud. And it's a problem Urban confirms is one of the most common she sees in her work. They were right on in uh, identifying the identity verification issue as the number one most uh, burdensome process for claimants, as well as what's backlogging the system so much. Assemblymember David Chu says 40 percent of Californians who apply for benefits have to mail in hard copies of their identification to verify their claim. Right now, there's no option for digital uploading. On the one hand, the current identity verification processes have not been able to address existing fraud efforts by sophisticated criminals. On the other hand, the identity verification has blocked honest Californians from being able to access the benefits that they are due. So it has been the worst of both worlds. EDD says it will implement a new digital identity verification system in the next few weeks, which will allow applicants to submit ID materials online. For The California Report, I'm Mary Franklin Harbin. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. A class action lawsuit filed against the Trump administration claims Customs and Border Protection personnel knew they were breaking the law as they reviewed migrants' claims for asylum at the U.S.-Mexico border. From San Diego, KPBS reporter Max Rivlin-Nadler explains. The lawsuit, which was granted class action status last month, centers on the thousands of asylum seekers who have been turned away at ports of entry across the southern border since late 2016. 
Customs and Border Protection claims it doesn't have the capacity to process more than just a few asylum seekers each day. So people are turned away, put on a waiting list, and forced to wait to request for asylum. The plaintiffs, including legal nonprofit profit Al Otro Lado, claim the turnbacks are a violation of the law. And staff attorney Erica Pinheiro says CBP knew it. Unlike their characterization of events, it wasn't just a few bad apples. It wasn't just a few officers who were turning away asylum seekers. It actually was a policy and practice um, that was directed from the highest levels. Under this policy, thousands of asylum seekers from Central America, Africa, the Caribbean, and elsewhere were told to wait in Tijuana, even if they feared for their safety there. The new court documents include a deposition from a CBP agent stationed in Tecate, who said asylum seekers were being turned away even though there were available beds and agents to process them. That agent claims they were then ordered by leadership to lie to asylum seekers and say there was no way they could be processed there. Here's Pinheiro again. So this isn't a rogue agency at this point. They don't care about any checks put on them by Congress or the courts. And they're really, um, they've been deployed politically by this administration to shut off all immigration to the United States, but specifically asylum in the United States. A hearing is scheduled for federal court in San Diego in December. For the California Report, I'm Max Adler in San Diego. The governor has announced a second round of funding for the state's Project Home Key. $236 million will be spent turning hotels, motels, and vacant apartment buildings into housing for homeless individuals. It's an example of how California continues to struggle with housing and homelessness, even as it battles the pandemic. That struggle to create more housing is explored in a new KQED podcast series called Sold Out. It's hosted by KQED reporters Aaron Baldessari and Molly Solomon, and and Molly joins us now. Molly, not so long ago, housing and homelessness were the biggest problems facing the state. And then the coronavirus came along. How has the pandemic changed the conversation about housing in the state? Yeah, I mean, I think that everything that we've been going through with the past few months with the pandemic, um, with recent protests over racial justice across the country. I mean, if anything, housing is still at the forefront and has a lot to do with all of these things that have been happening. I mean, I think that what we've seen with coronavirus in particular is, you know, we hear this phrase that this pandemic has really laid bare a lot of the inequalities. And I think that's really true, especially when it comes to housing. I got to say, though, I mean, we were searching for solutions before the pandemic (laughs) and then the virus comes along. And doesn't that only complicate things? I mean, at the very least, there's less attention being paid to housing and homelessness. And there may be a lot fewer resources to spend on solving the problem of creating more housing and reducing homelessness. You know, I think something that stood out to us is that it feels like finally there is actually some political will to do some things. And, you know, I'm not going to give away all of our solutions here, but in our first episode, that's sort of what started to drive this whole conversation and and the direction of the podcast is that we saw, you know, homelessness has just really reached this emergency level of crisis. And what happened after the coronavirus pandemic hit was that there was this movement really to move people inside of hotels and to house homeless people inside hotels really, really fast. And I think for us on the housing team, we saw that as, wow, you know, I don't think we've ever seen something like that happen before. And and, and especially on the scale that we're seeing it, where we're really seeing 15% of the state's homeless population get housing. And so I think 
there is something about this moment that is pushing pushing the needle a bit. And do you think the big challenge is getting people from that transitional housing into what people call permanent housing? Is that like still the big choke point in making that jump from one kind of housing to another? Absolutely. I mean, what Governor Newsom did in his campaign that he called Project Room Key, that was really a reaction to getting people off the street and into housing and really following a lot of public health advice, which says, you know, housing and being in a stable environment is really useful for for managing this pandemic that we're in, but, but crucial for people's health. So, you know, the big thing now is to push that into the second part of this campaign, which he's calling Project Home Key, which is really to make that a permanent transition. You know, at the end of the day, we don't want to send the thousands of people that we just got housing back out onto the streets. Um, but, you know, the big thing there is is securing the funding to do that. All right. Molly Solomon, co-host of KQED's new podcast series, Sold Out, about housing and homelessness in the Golden State. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me, Saul. And that is the California Report for Tuesday, September 22nd, a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez in L.A. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Paint Care. Now with 770 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement, and two chairs, offering evidence-based therapy throughout California by matching individuals with one of their licensed therapists for virtual sessions. Learn more at twochairs.com. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.